Well, good evening, everyone. I'm so glad they brought this this uh, pulpit up here. I was just going to bust a move on you. I mean, I was just going <laughs> to... You really believe that, don't you? Alex and I were going to tag team, and we were going to just bust some real... I was going to spin on the... But they brought it up here, so I can't. I'm sorry. Uh, we are... Sue and I are so glad to be here with you, and it's been a great, great time just uh, sharing family, Ohana. And we really do feel that way about our Hilo family. We uh, have a, such a wonderful, fond memories. Matter of fact, all the way back to the root of this church, uh, 30 years ago, we, we were, had the privilege of being a part of seeing uh, just a little step, maybe a little seed of what God had. I, I, was, I was in uh, Salem, Oregon. Sue and I were planting our first church. How many of you planted churches here? How many of you church planters? And, and how, how many of you uh, took over a church you wished you'd planted? You know, I mean, it is, oh God, why didn't I start from the beginning? You know, how did I inherit this? And it's because God loves you so much. Uh, <laughs> but we, were, we, we had our first church, and, and uh, like most church plants, you meet in anything you can meet in. I mean, we met in garages. We met in houses. We had the evangelize the neighborhood uh, ministry because we needed their homes, you know. Uh, we wanted their souls, but we needed their houses, you know. So the first grade would be in this house, and the second grade would be in, you know, and you just go around, reach the neighbors for Jesus because you need their house, you know. And uh, during those times of uh, tran- just transitioning, from place to place, we, we met in an old gymnasium, uh, had no, no heat. And I want you to know, in the mainland in Oregon, during the winter, you need heat. The people would come to church, and it looked like a football game. Everybody had blankets. I remember one, one uh, Sunday, a, a lady came to church, and she was kind of a classy lady, and I had a long dress on, and I thought, whoa, uh, you know, a new visitor. And she walks in, and she takes a step. I can see long underwear underneath her dress, you know. And so she had come prepared for our church. And then in those times, uh, one Sunday we had a, a couple, and they came late. Most of us as pastors, when, when, when new people come in late, you kind of ask yourself, why? Either they couldn't figure out how to get there, that was one, and, and we weren't easy to find. And, the, and the, the second reason is probably because they're hurt and they're not ready to meet people. And this couple came and they sat in the back of the church, big Hawaiian guy and his blonde wife. And uh, before the service was over, I was just getting the end of the service, and they got up and walked out, and, you know, the pastor, well, I blew it, and never see him again. And this started of a process of a number, couple of months where they would come late and leave early, and finally I thought, I'm going to find out who they are. So I had, I tricked him one Sunday and had one of my elders dismiss in prayer, and I beat him to the door, you know. And I met this couple, and uh, the the gentleman's name was Rod Kawakami and uh, Rod had was had grown up here in the island and played for the University of uh, Hawaii on the football team and got saved while he was on the football team there and got involved in some dimension of ministry and even at one time tried to plant a church and then got scared he didn't know what he was doing and so he just said I packed up overnight left the whatever part of the church that was there and went to the mainland and he was teaching in a college there uh, a man with a broken heart and a, a lost vision. And over about a 
year and a half, two-year process, God began to heal him. You know, and it's amazing. It isn't what we say. It's just people sit out in the congregation sometimes and they, they weep. And you say, is my preaching that bad? You know, I mean, they cry. <clears throat> but they, 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 they cried themselves back to Jesus. And that's what happened to, to this couple. And you could see the Lord restore their heart. And Rod came to me one, one week and he, he said, I want to talk to the elders. I mean, we're a church of probably 150 people. We weren't really into planting church mode. But he said, I want to go to Hilo and I want to plant a church. I said, hmm. So he met with our elders, and we began to pray. And over a period of time, uh, God raised them up. And we packed up the little amount of money we could get together. And we got a container and sent them back here to Hawaii to uh, Hilo and plant this church called New Hope here in Hilo. And uh, Rod began that church plant, and it was about less than two years old. And... God was doing some good thing there and right in the middle of a, a, just kind of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And God was doing some healing things. And right in the middle of this, Rod was struck down with a total kidney failure. And uh, uh, I got word and immediately jumped on a plane and flew here. And Rod was uh, over in Oahu and he was in the hospital for about three weeks. And I had the opportunity to come here and, and just help the church through a pro- new hope this new hope uh, through a process and and went back and at that time uh, Roy Hicks Jr. was the supervisor and Roy called me and he kind of got deep we I debriefed him what was what was going on with new hope in in Hilo and some of you are, were here uh, I and during my time here I baptized some of you in the lagoon and I mean we had I have memories that have they'll be with me always but uh, when I got back, Roy, Roy Jr. asked me, he said, well, what do you think? And I said, well, there's a, there's a core of people there who love Jesus and want to do something. It's not gigantic, but it, there's, something, there's something there. And he said, I got this Hawaiian, Hawaiian boy. So I got this Hawaiian boy who, who works with Young Life. His name's Wayne Cadero. And uh, he said, let's throw him over there and see if he could do anything, you know. <clears throat> and that's kind of what started. And Wayne came and, and uh, Rod went. Uh, Rod's health was to the place where he couldn't continue to pastor. So he went to Wheaton, Illinois. And he, he, uh, there's, there's so much here, history. I could tell you history of this church that you probably don't know about. But in the midst of, of that process, he was preparing himself for a vision God had given him to reach from Hawaii into the Pacific Rim. Sound familiar? And uh, he was on a dialysis machine in Wheaton, Illinois, uh, uh, preparing between classes, and he had a heart attack and died. Went to be with Jesus. And uh, God had a plan. You know, some people would have thought that was a failure. Some people would have thought the, the ministry of Rod Kawakami was kind of a failure. I walk in here and I say the ministry of Jesus Christ is never a failure. Never a failure. And that's why we're gathered here. 
You know, sometimes we, we, we want to package success as something big and something we can celebrate. And there's times when success looks that way. But there's times when success doesn't look that way. I don't think the cross looked like a great success. And we were, we've been talking about investing in the lives of young people. And I want you to know sometimes that doesn't feel real successful either. Sometimes they're just diapers to change and snot-nosed kids to keep out of trouble. And we all understand because we were one of them one time. But now we're called to invest in them and care for them. And, and it's, it's been really interesting in uh, listening. Uh, and, and thanks so much. You are so blessed to have Pastor Alex and Berna. Uh, they are, they're a gift to our supervisors. Every time they come, they come and they bring with them the aloha spirit. And, and they build ohana in our, our group of supervisors. And, and they bring macadamia nuts. Yes. And, and, and chocolate. And, and they spoil us. And we love it. And uh, we, we, we so appreciate them. And I, and I do need to tell you, you have, as, as your children's director here in your district, someone who has loved kids and invested them all her life. Uh, she may be my sister-in-law, but I can tell you, you have the best. You, you really do. You really do. She has invested. She, there, are, there are adults all over this country who are serving Jesus in ministry because of investment she's made. And someday, as you continue to invest wisely, the same thing will be able to be said about you. So today, I want to talk a little bit and I bring a little summary to a lot of things Jesus has been doing here over, the, over our time together. I thank God for Fernando and for Ryan this morning. They have made it so easy. Wasn't it a wonderful time with Fernando? I mean, what an amazing word. Uh, I don't know if he's here today. <laughs> he's probably nursing his gallstone somewhere, you know. Uh, I just, just the, just the word gallstones doesn't sound good to me. Anything stones shouldn't go in here. You know, that's all I know. And, uh, and he came and he shared a word that was just powerful to our hearts. And it, it, and it, it was really interesting because I listened to, to his word and then Ryan shared. And the words were so different yet so fit together. So fit together. Uh, and, and the thing I want to come tonight is I want to come in and kind of make, bring focus and application. Because you call this a, a seminar, a conference. You know where the word seminar comes, comes from? It comes from the word inseminate. And that's the joining. Yeah, that, that's where a baby starts. That's where birth starts. It's an insemination. And, and what, the, what that really says to you is it doesn't matter what happens in this event if you don't carry it out there. I want you to know my I've lived a blessed life. I was figuring out today, uh, I've, I've walked with the Lord for over 42 years. That makes me old like dirt, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know. I don't want to admit that, but 
And, you know, there's, there's something really good about getting older. You don't have to prove everything all the time anymore. They said he lived that long. Their mother, you must know something, you know. Uh, uh, there, there, there's, some big, there's some real benefits to it. And some of you guys are older than me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but there's this thing about application. I found that I've had amazing spiritual experiences in my life. God has poured his grace on me. I have, I, it, it, I, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. And those, those spiritual experiences are fresh and, and they, they renew me. Sometimes the Lord says, let's take a little walk through memory lane. And we walk through some of the experiences. I want you to know this, those experiences were, 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 are essential and they're a part of who I am. But they weren't what changed me. The thing that really brings change is when you have an spiritual experience and, and, and then you make a decision and yet that doesn't change you because decision can kind of be like conversion and I'm a little concerned about this in the body of Christ today we think people are saved because they get converted converted only means a change of mind let me say that again uh, People are, there, there are times when you, you'll be sharing, preaching the word or teaching, and people will come to, the, you'll say, you know, and this is what Jesus can do to your life. And, and all of a sudden they say, yeah, boy, that would be great. And, 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 and you say, and, and would you like Jesus? And they, and, and they all listen, they think they say, okay, I don't like where I am now. I don't like the consequences of what I'm doing. So yeah, I'll take, I, I, and they become converted in their mind. But that's as far as they go. They never invite the life of God in, which is called salvation. And we have many people who sit in churches today, uh, and, and, they, and, and the pastor shares this. Anybody want to receive Jesus? And they're sitting there, and I, they, they, well, I raise my hand. Well, that means they probably got converted. But I'm not necessarily... Do they have the life of God in them? 1 John 5 says, you, Those who have the life... Have that life in Jesus Christ. And if you don't have him, you don't have the life. And if there's any question, you ain't got it yet. And I don't say that in a condemning way. I say that in an inviting way. God has life for you. God has life for you. And, it, and, and it's so exciting as Ryan and as, as, uh, as Fernando was sharing. For, Fernando, I love his approach because he's, he's kind of systematic. Did you notice that? He's a process person. And he talked about the launching of an arrow, how you, how you take an arrow. And uh, raising up young leaders is like launching an arrow out of, out of Psalms there, 127. And he shared a process. Okay, you take it, you find the, find the twig, and, and it was a beautiful focus on process. But I love the end. He says, you, come, you pull it back and you've got to release it. And then Ryan gets up, and Ryan, Ryan's approach is a little bit more organic. He talked about this whole thing of, of, of the environment. The environment of, of this discipleship. How does that take place? He focused on, on what conditions are necessary. Not necessarily a process. But the kind of moisture that needs to be in the air. And the kind of soil that needs to be there. And the kind of things. And, and, and the beauty of that was he ended with, and, and, and you got to entrust and release that person 
In both approaches, the leadership, whether by releasing in some new formation, a newly formed arrow into the flight, or entrusting the newly developed disciple into the hands of God, there comes a letting go with no guarantees. And Pastor Sheldon came up and he shared, that's the tough part. The lack of guarantees. You put all this time and all this effort in people and you say, what happens if they screw up and don't follow through? Any of you struggle with that? Well, I'm glad I'm the only one. But I do. I only have so many minutes, so many hours, so many days, so many weeks, so many months, so many years on this earth, and then I'm going to be gone. I have a friend. His name is Jerry Cook, a really good friend of mine. I was talking with Jerry, and Jerry's gone through a, a lot of struggle with cancer and some other things like that. And he's on the other, he's, he's broke through, but you can tell he's... He's older and he's one of these guys, I think he sees heaven. And he was talking to me, he says, and, and, and we who live on the wrong side of heaven, I'd never heard anybody say that before. And we who live on the wrong side of heaven. And I thought, boy, that's a perspective for life, isn't it? And, and, and there's this whole thing about Guarantees, And I'm going to talk to you today because I want to focus in our, our teaching time today about, about leading leadership lives which are effective in, in, in how, how we do, how we process people and fruitful in, in how we organically set conditions where they can grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the midst of this effectiveness, in, in this, this fruitfulness, how to do that in a way that brings God pleasure too. Would you like to do that? I love to bring God pleasure. For all the grace he's shown towards me. For all the blessing. We rarely talk about the privilege we have to just make God happy. And I want to pray before we do. I want to pray that God would make us God pleasers. God pleasers. Just bring God sheer pleasure. The, 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 the scripture says so many amazing things, but let's pray. And would you just hold your hands out before the Lord with me? And let's invite him. Empty hands is a good way to come to the Lord because it's uncluttered. As I said, there, there are the decisions I've made in my life that have brought change. But I've come to find that those decisions really find their place. The thing that really transforms my life is surrender. Because decisions is made up too much on my efforts. And I fail. And I just want to surrender tonight. Jesus, thanks that you don't need our stuff. You don't need our skills though you gave them to us. You don't need our gifts and and talents, though you deposited them in. You you don't come to us uh, with with some look of, of, come on, 
uh, uh, pour those things out or I can't do it. You don't need us, but you've chosen to work with us because you want to make us a part of that team, father and daughter and, and, and sons. How we become a part of your heavenly family. And Lord, we want to, to walk in that freedom. We want to bring you pleasure. And Lord Jesus, I pray tonight in just simple ways you'll speak to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. You know, it's an amazing thing that uh, we can be people who have a lot of spiritual experience, a lot of things that God has done in our life, and still in some dimension... uh, I, I just just putting it out there straight. Don't bring him pleasure. Don't bring him the extreme pleasure that he desires. But, and I'm just gonna. You don't have to turn there. But in 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 First Corinthians chapter ten, or chapter chapter ten, it says this. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all passed through the sea. And it's speaking of the children of Israel in the Old Testament. All were baptized into Moses. In the cloud and in the sea and ate the spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock which followed them and that rock was Christ. In other words, these were people, the people who walked with, with Moses, they were people of spiritual experience. God opened the river. I mean, God was with them. He did mighty miracles. These were people who were acquainted with the, with the God who showed up, the God of the miraculous. And yet it goes on to say, uh, but with most of them, God was not well pleased. With most of them, they just didn't bring him pleasure. And, and I guess I, I'm in the place right now in life where I'm not, not really too, too concerned about failure because I've been there and done that a few times. Failure is survivable. Matter of fact, it's a great way to learn. So success and failure, it really isn't a big issue. And the farther along and you go and, and, and the more we get closer to Jesus, the more we realize that 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 probably the people we think we want to impress aren't really watching anyhow. So it's probably a waste of time. And so you you live out your life for an audience of one. You say, Lord, I just want to please you. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about how to have this kind of God-pleasing faith. And it's it's a simple portion of scripture. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to wow you with some some amazing text, but I want to bring us to the scripture and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Because here in Hebrews chapter eleven, it talks about the kind of faith that brings God pleasure. Follow along with me as I read Hebrews chapter eleven, starting with verse one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it elders obtain good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are, which 
we're seeing are not made of things that are visible. In other words, it says you go out on a starlit night and you understand that God is real and he created all, not because of some... some uh, Argument that you read and apologetic about about God the Creator, but because you just know. Romans chapter uh, chapter one says every person knows God is real because it's declared in creation and because something inside tells you. Even your neighbor who throws his beer cans into your yard and and and, and all those things they know they're God. I don't believe in God. Yes, they do. They just they haven't got in touch with the reality yet. You don't you don't know God is real by proof. We know God is real by faith. And then he gives some examples of this God kind of faith, this this God-pleasing faith. He says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift, and through it, he being dead still speaks. By faith. Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had the testimony that he pleased God. He brought God pleasure. Jump down to verse 7. But by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. Then jump back up to verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. I have read this scripture and, and it's been a part of... hundreds of times probably over the years, but the Lord has been opening my heart to new understanding about the kind of faith that pleases God. It's not a transactional faith that supposedly the way you believe somehow puts God in a double Nelson in a full body, you know, so that he has to come through on what his word promises. Because that's sometimes how we pray. If I pray enough, if I stand strong enough, if I have the Word of God, because it says right here, I can stand in faith and I can make God do this. Can I? Uh, this is a clue. You can't make God do anything. But His Word says, I know He wrote it. I may be messing with you a little bit. That's okay. You know, sometimes the greatest gift a good pastor can bring you is not give you all the answers, but help heighten your questions. I want you to let the Lord reveal you to you tonight. Here, here the scripture is talking about this kind of God-pleasing faith. And, and I'm going to give you the bottom line before we even get into uh, to really un- unpacking it. The bottom line is the foundational truth we're going we're to focus on today is faith will never let us determine the ultimate outcome. Let me say that. That, that would be worth writing in your notes. Faith will never let us determine the ultimate outcome. 
And for pastors, that's really important because every once in a while you hear or get a vision from God or believe something or see something in someone and you sponsor it and you believe it and it doesn't come to pass or doesn't seem to. Any of you ever had that happen? You don't have to raise your hand. And if we don't understand the character of God and how this God-pleasing, God, the kind of pleasure, uh, faith that brings God pleasure in his saints, how that works, we kind of feel like God left us on hold. Hello? Hello? Are you there, God? And we got somehow left on hold and, and he, he didn't come through. And because we, we wouldn't want to say anything bad about God because that's dangerous, you know. We just, we just go, oh, whatever, you know. And, and we go on in our life. But there's this l- low-grade mistrust that gets in there. Some of you kind of shake in your head and you know what I'm talking about. See, there's a, there's a kind of faith that pleases God. And, and right here in these first few verses, it gives, it, it shares about three people who, who express this kind of God-pleasing faith. One's name was Abel, the other was Enoch, and the third was Noah. L- look at the outcome of each of their faith. Abel believed God and he died. Enoch believed God and he never died. Noah believed God and everybody else died. (laughs) Figure that one out. Figure that one out. You just go, what's that all about? Each one of it, it says right here, each one of them showed the same kind of God-pleasing faith. Why the difference in outcome? That's what we need to talk about. We're never going to understand God, but to get a proper God perception is very, very important. There's three things, and they're simple, and you probably will understand them. But I want to press the fact that, see, faith is, is, is not so much transactional. How I get things from God, it's relational. How I grow closer and know Him more. It's not transactional as much as it's relational. We went through a whole time in, in what they called, probably 20 years back, a renewal in, in something called the faith movement. But most of, most of it was how to transact business with God. How you pray this way and you stand in faith and you believe this way. And you, know, and, and you claim these scriptures and you stick them on your, on your mirror and you put them on your refrigerator. And I mean that may be a little extreme. But it was kind of like, and you don't say anything negative. Because if you, na- if you say anything negative, the whole thing's off. Because you know? God's watching all the time. We know that. And if you don't perform right, you're out of here. But we had this transactional approach to faith. And I want you to know, I wish that I could say that kind of died. But I think it, it, got, it resided in the back of some of our minds and our thought process about God. God, the whole thing about faith is not transactional as much as it is relational. It's about knowing Him. Bringing Him pleasure. And I want to focus our full attention today on one verse, and that's verse 6. And this, this, 
this this uh, scripture kind of appeared like a speed bump in the Bible. Any of you, you're reading through your normal daily devotions, you know, and you're go about to soap and you're going on, dun, 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 you know, and you go on, well, what was that? You know, and you kind of, boom, 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 you know, and you go back. Well, there's something there. I don't have time right now. I'll come back later. Boom, 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 you know, and you just go on. And, and the Bible's full of speed bumps. Have you found that to be true? And one of the smartest things to do is stop and kind of stick out there for a while. And I was driving through Hebrews here, and I hit this speed bump, and I'm thinking, what? Because it's such a, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who cometh to God must believe that, he, that he's a rewarder, that he, 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 of those who diligently seek him. And so I was just reading through there, and it was just like I, I hit this speed bump, and I thought, well, then I, I must be doing okay. Because number one, I qualify. I believe that God is. I want you to know that is not what that scripture is talking about. It is not talking about the existence of God. How many of you have had a developing relationship of knowing who God is? I remember before I received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I, I kind of knew he was out there. I grew up in a little town in Nebraska, and uh, Main Street was two blocks long, and there was a cornfield on each side. And as a little kid, you know, town was 320 people. Uh, one, one, one kid fell down, five mothers jumped out and picked it up. You know, I mean, it was, you, you, you just, it was a little place. And, and we only had two churches. One was a Catholic church. And, and one was a Methodist church, United Methodist Church. And if you weren't Catholic, you had to be Methodist, you know, uh, or vice versa. And so it was just kind of the way it was. And so I'd go into church all my, all my but, but it was more of a church that talked about how to be good, told you the Bible stories. But even as a little guy, I remember saying, God, you've got to be out there somewhere. I remember walking out into the country and looking up and saying, what am I supposed to do? Do I build an altar? Get a sheep? What do I do? And it was God up there. And then as, as a young teenager, I came to know Jesus Christ. And somebody explained to me the gospel. And I received Jesus Christ in my heart. And all of a sudden, he wasn't just the God up there. God made a, 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 a what I would say, a, a radical relocation. It was the God in here. And Jesus Christ, the, the Christ life came in. And I started maturing in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and then as I grew in the Lord and was baptized in the Holy Spirit, I began to understand that God out there relocated in here. But what he really wants to go is out there. And I began to understand the Emmanuel principle. God with me everywhere I go, God goes. When I go to the store, Jesus is there. When I, when I talk to the person behind the counter, you, they just had an encounter with Jesus Christ because he lives in me. Radical relocation of God. It, wasn't, it isn't here saying, talking about God's existence. What it's really asking is the question and the important question. It's saying, not do we believe that God is, but do we believe that God is God and we're not? That's the question. 
That's what begins to bring things into focus. When we understand that God is God and we're not. That's a struggle for us. Even as Christians, we, the, we get to know his ways and we get to know his will more. And we kind of think God ought to be doing this and ought to be doing that. And if he doesn't, we get a little, God, what you up to? Where are you at? Why'd you allow this in my life? Why'd you allow this in my church? God is God. And we're not. God is God and I'm not. Would you say that with me? God is God and I'm not. You know, there's something really good about that. Take a deep breath. (laughs) You know, we don't have to hold the universe together. You don't have to, you don't, we as pastors don't have to hold our church together. Seems like I know someone who it belongs to and isn't us. It, it not only says that this God-pleasing faith involves a place where we just surrender and say, God, you're God and I'm not. But he says it's, it's second to understand that not only is he God and we're not but he's a good God. He's a good God. Turn to the person next to you and tell him that. He's a good God. He's a good God. Then why in the world do so many bad things happen to good people? I don't have time to go through the, through the whole life uh, story of the uh, of, uh, of one of my favorite characters in the Old Testament, but his name is Joseph. You want to talk about some... It, the reason I love Joseph, he's one of the few patriarchs in the Old Testament that finished well. I mean, let's, let's be honest. He actually finished well. David, you know, you can go through him and they didn't do a great job. Of, he finished well. And I thought, well, that's something to take note of right away. God is a good God. But yet, I look at the life of Joseph, and in Psalms 105, I think it's verses 12 through 14, it says that God put a promise in Joseph's life, and that the promise of God beat him up till the day it came to pass. It will say, that stinks. And if you have a promise like that, I, I've had them. There's, there's times when God will, in, in a moment of prayer, in a moment of worship, in a moment of surrender, God will say, you know, this is how I see you, my son or my daughter. And this is what I want to do. do I want to do in you. And I, you get what I call a glimpse through the divine keyhole. And you get this shot of light and it comes in and you go, wow, wrong keyhole. Can't be me, you know. I mean, uh, but it is. It's how God sees you and I. He sees us involved in people's lives and being fruitful in ministry and lives being transformed generation to generation. And we're saying, wow, God, that's so exciting. I, I'm so... And we can't take this promise. And then a week goes by and then a, a day goes, another day. And then, then, then weeks and months and years. And, and all of a sudden, that which was a promise that made you so excited is a promise that makes you pretty depressed. Because you kind of say, well, somewhere I must have screwed up. 
Because it couldn't be God's fault, it must be mine. Let, let, me, let, let me give you, let you in on a little secret about God's promises. Number one, you don't have to fulfill them. And number two, if he gave them to you, he'll bring them to pass. And number three, you ain't dead yet. He ain't dead yet. <laughs> even, even Abraham. I mean, he got a promise. He's an old dude. You know, in Romans chapter 4, it says, this is a little paraphrase, but he gets up one day and he's looking and washing off in the, in, the, in the river and he sees himself. And I mean, the muscles are falling down the bottom and his chest fell in his, you know, in his drawers. And I mean, he's, you know, he's in, he's in a bad way. And, and, and the scripture says the impossibility of the situation encouraged him. He said, when all hope was gone, he hoped on in faith. The hopelessness of it all made him encouraged. I said, that's the kind of man I want to be. That's the kind of man God says, I like him. That brings me pleasure. I'm, I'm going to be around him. Because the hopelessness doesn't make him hopeless. It makes him Look higher than his circumstances and situations. And, and, and look beyond where he is and say, I'm not stuck. I'm here on assignment. I wonder what God's up to. And I want you to know, and maybe in the next few weeks, would you just do a homework for me? Take, a, take the time to read through Genesis 30, from chapter 37 to the end of the book, 52. And learn from the life of Joseph because there's, there's, there's three things there that you need to get. I spend a lot of time with pastors. Pastor Alex and I, we love pastors. We have the highest privilege in the world. We get to serve pastors. Pastors are the most wonderful people. People who minister in Jesus' name are the most wonderful people. But every once in a while, we have the heartbreak of watching one of those wonderful people bite, bite the dust. Family collapse, moral failure, financial misappropriation, all kinds of crazy stuff. And you go, why, 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 why? Because you know this person, they love Jesus. They, they've walked with the Lord. You've seen some track record. You say, how could this happen to them? And let me share with you, there are three things that are laid out in the life of Joseph that are things that disqualify you or sideline you in ministry. And no matter what the trip up is, if it's a moral failure, if it's, if it's pornography, whatever it is, I can trace them back. I, if you and I will sit down for a, a, a period of time, we can trace it back to one more or more of these three things. Write these down and you can do some homework later. Number one... And all of these things are, are not things, whether they happen to you or not, is whether you've resolved them in your heart or not. Number one is personal betrayal. Joseph had a few brothers, and they sold him. I can't even imagine how tough that was. And he had to work through his issues of personal betrayal. It's amazing how many pastors, how many people I deal with. And they're dealing with things of personal betrayal. They were betrayed by someone they should have been able to trust. A parent, a, 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 an uncle, a, 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 a spouse. And because they haven't worked through that issue of personal betrayal, 
It's like they were going on in their life and destiny and, and, and the enemy just sideswipes them and knocks them off the thoroughfare of destiny and they get knocked into a cul-de-sac. And they kind of come to their senses and say, I think I'm okay. I, I, I think I'm okay. Uh, and they look around and, and, and they start the car up and they get to move. And the wheels are still moving and they drive off and say, wow, that was a close one. I think I'm okay. And, and then over a period of time, they, they, they start realizing, God, I think I've seen this terrain before. God, those tire tracks look familiar. My gosh, they're mine. And I'll tell you, if you let the enemy circle you in an area of hurt because of unresolved betrayal, those tire tracks become ruts and those ruts become a grave and it'll leach into other parts of your life and you'll find yourself doing things you never thought you would. And it isn't because you're a bad person, because you're trying to deal with pain. One is betrayal, personal betrayal. Number two is injustice. Injustice. Say, well, explain it in justice. Can I just explain it in a real, real down-to-earth terms that you'll understand? It's when you do the right thing and get screwed for doing it. You stand for righteousness and you get fired. You believe the Lord and do what He thinks, and it just seems like it, 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 it's not fair. Any of you ever had? No, nothing like that would ever happen to us. We're, we're Christians. Injustice. Joseph comes out of his situation of being sold by his brothers, ends up in the house of Potiphar. God starts blessing him. The first thing he does is Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him. But because he loves God and because he doesn't want to in any way compromise his dream that God had given him. He says no to her and ends up in jail. You know what made it worse? The thing that made it worse, and I just saw this in the scripture the other day, is that, that the scripture says Potiphar came home after the report of Joseph having supposedly tried to seduce his wife. And Potiphar was angry. And I first, this is the first time I ever realized that Potiphar, I don't think, was angry at Joseph. I think he was angry at his wife. Because I want you to know, you don't give your checkbook and all your bank accounts to somebody you don't trust. I think he knew the lack of character in his wife. She was a slinking fox, you know. And he knew. And the thing that must have just killed Joseph is he could see Potiphar looking at him and knowing Potiphar knew he was innocent. But to save face... He had to throw him in jail. Because if he would have really believed it, he'd have killed him. Right? I talk about an injustice. You stand for God and what do you get? What happened to the promise, God? I was just trying to do what I thought you wanted me to do. How did I ever get down here? Injustice. The third is what I call broken promises or unfulfilled expectations. We could go through that whole part, but basically it, it talks about two guys getting thrown in prison. One was a 
One was the butler and the other one was the baker. And Joseph interprets their dream. And one interpretation was one would be executed and the other would be set free. And Joseph told the one that gets set free, the, the butler, he says, when you get to Pharaoh, when, you, when God fulfills his promise to you, you get to Pharaoh, you tell him I'm in here on a bum rap. And the guy says, I promise, I, I promise I will tell him immediately when I get out of there. And, 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 and Joseph, when, when they come and get the guy and take him out, Joseph said, I'm free, I'm free, I'm getting out of here tomorrow, I'm free. A day goes by. A week goes by. Every time the door opens down the cell to the cells, you're sure it's you for you, and it's not. Two years went by before God brought him out. But this is the beauty. He took him from the prison to the palace in one day. <laughs> and you know, you know what encourages me? This could be my day. Every time, it just seems like, man, God, what are you doing? Uh, my life, it's so screwed up. I don't... And then the Lord will just whisper, this could be your day. <laughs> and it encourages me. Encourage yourself in the Lord. This could be your day. Amen. It could be the day that the Lord opens up. He gives insight. He gives... And, and you say, what was... The... Does, now, is God just playing games with Joseph? No, what really was happening, God was positioning his man to be at the right hand of the Pharaoh because seven years of famine was going to rack the world. And if Joseph hadn't been at the right hand taking care of procurement of all the grains and all the foodstuffs of the country and bringing the abundance together for seven years, the children of Israel would have starved to death and we wouldn't have a Messiah today. That's how important it was. Every once in a while, we, in the middle of our, our I don't understand God. God, are you just messing with me? God's got you involved in such a plan and such a purpose and you just don't and I don't see it yet. We're not dead yet. We're not done. He's not done yet. He's a good God. Say that with me. He's a good God. He's a good God. And he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Oh. I want you to just stand up and, you know, worship God. He's the, he, he just, he's the rewarder. Those who perform perfectly and do everything right and make sure the services go seamlessly. And then, you know, and then I'll reward you. And I'll build your church. And I'll, I'll do all these things. He'd say, lighten up. You know, <laughs> lighten up. I did fine when you weren't around. I'll do fine when you're gone. Right? A word to the parents. Your kids, you don't want your kids to be spiritual orphans because you're involved in church ministry all the time. Don't check out on the ministry. Involve them with you and have good boundaries in your life. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Well, I want to, there's, there's just so much more we could talk about, but 
one of the things I see here, and I just wrote in my notes here, and I'm going to read it to you. Note to self. We can't decide the outcome of our faith, but we can choose whether we will remain true to our faith no matter what the outcome. That kind of faith brings God pleasure. Let me read that one more time. We can't decide the outcome of our faith, but we can choose whether we'll remain true to our faith no matter what the outcome that kind of faith brings him pleasure. Just the thought of bringing God pleasure. Just the thought of him watching over you or me and just saying, my gosh, I love them. They make me so proud. Seems like a scripture... Well done, good and faithful service. Been faithful over later. I'm gonna put you over much. The other day is last night as we were. And I close with this. Uh, we were in here and we were <coughs> we were worshiping the Lord, and the Lord laid on my heart this whole thing about David's men of mighty valor. There's 30 of them, but it talks specifically of three. Uh, the three of them, one was a Dino. He killed 800 men in a battle. That's a pretty tough dude. I mean, he kicked Keister. I mean, he, 800 people in a battle. That is one tough dude. That is a man of faith. It wasn't that he was strong. It was impossible. He was empowered by God. He was a man of faith. And he was not going to let the Philistines mess with the name of his God. And he, in faith, stood against them. 800 people. David said, that's one of my men of mighty valor. Had another man named Eliezer. Eliezer. It says, uh, was, a te- was in the middle of an attack of the Philistines. And he said, it says, and he killed Philistines until his hand stuck to the sword. I used to have a friend that was a logger. And the guy was, I mean, he was so strong. He, was, he would work so hard that at the end of the day, some of the time, the men would have to come and pry his hand off the chainsaw because it had just had a, a grip on it. And that's what this man, he had fought so long in faith and so hard. He'd, he'd been so involved in the victory that they had to literally pull, pry the hand off. Pry, I mean, you're saying, yeah, those are the big dudes, man. Those are the home run hitters. And then I like this guy. This is the guy I can, I can relate to. I'm not sure I can relate to these first two. 800 to one. Yeah, I don't know, you know. Fight until they can't pride my... I'd love to say that's true. But I love this last guy. His name was Shama. It says he stationed himself in the middle of a, a lentil field. I call it a pea patch. And he defended it and killed Philistines. And you know what the Lord spoke to me prophetically for you? Some of you think you're just standing in a pea patch and nobody knows and nobody cares. But it's your pea patch and you better defend it in Jesus' name. It's your pea patch. 
God gave it to you. And he's watching. And if you are faithful in defending your pea patch, you're going to be up here in the top 30. Well, I need to close, but... I said that before, didn't I? I don't know. You make it too much fun. You really do. But I do want you to know that there, there, there's probably some of us tonight who maybe God kind of prodded you a little bit when we were talking about things that called a sake on life. Maybe you're dealing with an area of betrayal. Let me share the solution to betrayal in your life. Forgiveness. Forgiveness releases freedom. The only way you're going to get free is you're going to have to forgive. And forgive doesn't mean whatever that person did was okay or right. It just means that I, I, I refuse to punish them. I refuse to collect. That's God's business. I release them. Or you might be one of those people who injustice did the right thing and the results were anything but right. Wasn't fair. Uh, can I... Sh- <laughs> Being right is highly overrated. Being righteous is important. You can be right and be dead wrong in how you handle your rightness. So it really doesn't matter whether you're right or not. See, the beauty in this whole area is faith releases favor. You couldn't keep Joseph down. He'd throw him in prison. And the guy was soon the most blessed guy who's in charge of the prison. You put him anywhere and you can't keep him down. Because faith. He believed in the promise that God had for him. That kind of faith brings favor. And this whole thing of, of broken promises and under many of us know the wounds of that. I want you to know Perseverance will bring you from the prison to the palace. You just hang on and hang in there. You just keep on keeping on, believing in God's promise. Because I want you to know, if God gave you the promise, nobody, no person, no principality, nothing can stand in in the way of God bringing his word to pass. See, faith in God can't guarantee the outcome. You can't guarantee the outcome. I can't tell you exactly what's going to happen. I've prayed for people, and they've got better. I've prayed for people, and they've died. I believe for marriages, and they've got healed. I believe for marriages, and they have fallen apart. But the question is, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with it? See, this, the, the reason we talked about this, m- my assignment, what, what Lynn shared with me to share with you is, as a leader, how do I stay strong and directed and focused? This is what will keep you strong and directed. Soap every day, that's important. That's important. Uh, 
be in his presence and pray. But over a period of time, if you're not careful, that can almost become a, a performance thing. Right now, I'm on kind of a little, and I, I don't even know if I could share this with because I don't want to give you liberties God hasn't given you, but I'm a little break from my, my soaping. I'm approaching the word in a little bit different direction because soaping was, what, I, I was getting too fascinated with checking the boxes. And I hated it when a box wasn't checked. And God said, what is your problem? You seem entirely more concerned about this than I do. I remember one time I was a young believer. I said, oh, I was one of those times where I hadn't done my devotions for Oh, God, I'll never do it again. You know, and then two weeks later, I find myself in the same place. And, you know, you ever been there? Yeah. And uh, and I remember coming to the Lord. They one of these contrite, God, from this day forward, I'm going to read my Bible for you. For you. And he just, I, I thought, I, that was impressive, wasn't it? God, he says... Don't read it for me. I know what it says. <laughs> read it for you. Get the picture. I hope I've totally messed with you. And in that messing, somehow God is maybe taking your roots and loosened them up a little. Some of you may be in a planter that's kind of constricted you a little bit. You need a little bit more freedom to find out the God who loves you, who wants to have so much pleasure in you. Not because of performance, but because he's a good God and you're seeking him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're here tonight and you say, you know, there's some, some areas I need to maybe do some housework in, uh, some cleaning. A moment is when we dismiss, uh, maybe we get some, uh, the music uh, worship team come on up. And I'm just going to ask any of you to just come on forward, you know. If if you say there's some things, uh, uh, there is some woundedness in my life. Can, can I tell you all those three things are, are, are what are the foundation of what I, Hebrews calls a root of bitterness? They'll kill you. So you need to deal with any areas of personal betrayal, injustice, or broken promises. Or maybe some of you are saying, Lord, you know that dream you gave me, that promise you gave me, I, I, I put it on the shelf and the Lord is speaking to you tonight and saying, you know, the reason your heart is sick is your hope is deferred. You need to take it off the shelf. Because when you take it off the shelf, you become a tree of life again. Well, let me pray and... I'm just going to invite you to come. This is nothing formal. I know there's probably people, uh, Pastor Sheldon, who, 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 who could come and, and, and pray for people, uh, prayer team people. But, you know, somehow I know we can do this. We're leaders. If you see someone who the Lord leads to you and prompts you, say, why you go pray for him? Do it. Uh, listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll teach you how to pray. And uh, let's invite the Holy Spirit to do. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. But I feel like there's times when the Lord says, not make a choice, but will you surrender? Will you surrender? By standing up, by coming forward, you're saying, Lord, that area that you're talking to me.
I surrender. Jesus, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this conference. I thank you that all you've been doing. You're a good God. You're a rewarder of those who diligently seek after you. And I thank you, Lord, that we want to be God-pleasing people, ones that bring you pleasure. Direct us, I pray, and just touch those areas in our hearts that only you can. In Jesus' name, Lynn.